Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salam, and Salam, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Jeram, and Jeram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jehoiakimah, and his brothers, at a time of the deportation to Babylon, and after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiad, and Abiab the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Methan, and Methan the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation of Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Yeah, let's give her a round of applause for that one there. <laughs> yeah, I, I warned her in advance. I told her earlier in the week, hey, you need to know what's coming, okay? Um, speaking of things to come, we're in Advent, right? We, uh, we just are officially starting that really today, even though technically we're a weekend. And I've been thinking a lot about birth, the series called Birth Story. And I was thinking about uh, my oldest being born. And, you know, all parents have stories of what it was like when their children were born. And, and I, I look around, we have a lot of kids in here today. So kids, I, in fact, I mentioned this to a couple of kids already. I want you to ask your parents today about your birth story. I want you to say, hey, what was it like when I was born? What are some of the stories? How much drama did I bring into the world uh, when I came? And, and, you know, all three of our girls are special and they have their own distinctive stories. But for our, our oldest, uh, she brought some extra drama. And so, so we were a few hours into labor. I say we, I didn't do anything. It was Kirsten laboring, right? And so we were, she was a few hours in, and it was time to go to what was called the birthing cottage of Winter Park. And it was sort of an alternative to a hospital as a home, basically, then turned into a place for midwives and to give birth. And so, you know, with the beds, the bedrooms, things like that. And so we were there, and and the hours kept going by, and she was fully dilated, and we thought she was ready to give birth to, to our Karis, only she had uh, a problem, and that was this. It's called occidental posterior position. And that's a good way of saying snowball's chance in hell 
that you're going to have a baby through the birth canal. And it was the sort of thing that, that generations ago routinely killed moms and their unborn child, typically. And there was a name to it, Occidental Posterior. And now because of technology, we didn't have to worry about that, but, but we could go to a C-section. But that meant that we had to move from, from going to the birthing cottage in Winter Park to Florida Hospital just a half mile down the street. Less than 1% are actually transferred from the birthing cottage to there for that reason, and we were with that 1%. And, and we wept. You know, we, we wept because we had a dream of, of what we wanted the birth to look like. And it didn't happen the way that we wanted to. And so we, we got to the hospital and, and they knew what the outcome was going to be. But, but we really were still like, is there any chance we could, you know, vaginal delivery? And they give us a few more hours and they said, I'm sorry. It's, you know, beyond this, it gets too dangerous. And so our firstborn, Karis Isla Armstrong was born after 35 hours of labor. And this very same song that we sang, Mark, um, over Max, is the same song that I sung over Karis when I held her for the first time. You know, every family has a birth story. Jesus does too. And it may surprise you that, that here at Advent, we're starting in a passage that that isn't typical for, for narratives, actually, around Christmas time. You know, we like the shepherds. We like the star in the sky. Like, we like the manger scene, after all. And here we are reading a genealogy of very hard-to-pronounce names. Why? Why are, why are we doing that? I, I wanted to tell you this at the outset. You may have heard that lineage read and thought, oh, it's kind of boring. But for the Jewish people hearing it for the first time, bombshell. Left and right. Over and over again. I've entitled the sermon, The Scandalous Soil of Salvation. And as you will see, it was scandalous. It has so much to say to us today about our salvation. I think it's pretty powerful that, 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 that here at Christmas time, this is a very unusual Christmas, isn't it? We're in the midst of a pandemic that, you know, Dr. Fauci said, the Calvary's coming, the, the vaccine's coming, but it's not here yet. And in Christmas, I think there's a special draw, isn't there? Do you feel it? There's a special draw to, to the comforts of the rituals and the rhythms of the holidays. And yet at the very same time, some of you are not going to be able to, to celebrate with certain people in your family because of age and immunocompromisation and so forth. There are things that, that were being impressed upon us that are unusual, that are unexpected. And what I see in this passage that I think so speaks to our moment right now is expectation meeting unexpected events. The expected things that, that the Jewish people were celebrating about this genealogy in some unexpected ways, as we're going to see. Three things to unwrap this present, as it were, today. Number one, we're going to see some fulfilled expectations. We're going to see some excitement, some celebration, some hope, also some tension in that, believe it or not. But then secondly, we're going to see some unexpected grace that's going to really blow the lid off everything here. And then finally, for us especially, a new reputation that we have at Christmas time because of this genealogy, as we're going to see. Let's jump in with the first thing here. And that's fulfilled expectations. Look again with me at verse 1. And remember, these are the very first words of the New Testament. The very first words. This is Matthew's Gospel. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The word genealogy comes from the same root for Genesis. It literally meant for them 
the creation account of Jesus Christ. This is new creation, in other words. The beginning point of the New Testament is new creation for all four of the Gospels. And this is how Matthew puts it to us. Genealogy. Genesis. And this is a message of a hope that's being fulfilled. Why would I say that? Well, and this is where, this is the joy part of it for them especially. You know, for for. For centuries, they, they remembered Abraham and the blessing that would come more on that here in a second. And, and that God would make a great nation through Abraham. And then David's mentioned here, of course. And, and David, the great nation of Israel, they're great at, at their sort of apex of, of expansion under him. And, and the promise from, from God was that, 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 that there would be a king that would come through David. And so they're, they're excited and Israel had been waiting and longing for the the long-expected Messiah to come. And then, because Israel chooses a different pathway, a pathway of sin and darkness, they're in exile, which is also mentioned here in the genealogy a couple times. And God goes into radio silence for centuries, by the way. Centuries. The very first words to break radio silence after hundreds of years Genealogy. Genealogy. Lineage here, as it were. And there are two things here I want you to see that, that break the silence. I mentioned them briefly here already, but now let's dig in a little bit here. And that is the phrase, son of Abraham first, here. Four different times in the book of Genesis, Abraham. Now, Abraham was this, this pagan, essentially, who who is called by Yahweh to follow him. And by faith, it says, multiple times, he, he places his trust in this unknown God, Yahweh. Breaks off from the pagan practices around him, the culture, to follow after this new God. And, and each, each time in chapters 12, 15, 17, and 22 of Genesis, a promise is given. Abraham, through you, because of your obedience, will come a great nation will come a, a great blessing. I will bless you that you might be a blessing to the nations. Let me just read one of those. It's in verse 18 of chapter 22. He says this, And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. And I want you to see here, this is the mission of God. I will bless you that you might be a blessing to the nations. But this is the place where Israel is formed. Every Israelite would have said, who is my ultimate father? Where does it go back my genealogy? Abraham. Abraham. This is, it goes all the way back. I remember that Abraham was my father. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons. Okay, I'm going to stop there. But you know, the song, this is it. This is what they sang. Father Abraham. This is where they were formed. And so, here's what you would have experienced. You would have, you would have said, man, God is faithful. God God is, is doing what he said he would do. After radio silence, God is breaking that radio silence. He is fulfilling with expectation my hopes. I belong to him. But the second phrase here I think is even more powerful, believe it or not, and that's son of David. Because this point's not just the mission of God, but the reign of God in their lives. There are multiple places in, in the Old Testament where the promise was given that because of David sitting on the throne, not only would these people belong to God, but they would be a great people. They would have a great king. David was considered the greatest king. He was sort of their George Washington, as it were, for their nation. Uh, and yet, 
what the promises of Scripture were, that there's going to be an even greater king to come. In fact, it says this in Psalm chapter 89, verses 28 and 29. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever. This is the hymn being David. And my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever and his throne as the days of the heavens. In other words, there is a kingdom. There's a kingship to come that's without end. That's eternal. That has no ending. There is no election where it comes to an end. This is, this is forever, as it were, is what is that. This is the long-awaited Messiah. And so don't you know that as they heard that, there would have been joy and hope, these first readers. But there is a rub in all this. There's a fly in the ointment. And that is the tension that's also here. Because at the same time that God is saying, I will accomplish what I want in your life, he's also saying it's on my time frame. I want to bring it from their story to your story right now. For some of you, it is all about the pandemic right now. You were talking earlier about the, about the you know, what happened. You know, we entered into the pandemic phase back in April. I actually, some of you know this, I was one of the very first COVID cases here in Georgia. Made the news and everything. Late February. And by the time we got to the end of March, a month later, I mean, it's all going on. It's a pandemic. And, and then we hear about we're waiting for a vaccine and it could take several years to develop. Remember that? That was the, the prognosticators were telling us it could take several years. Thanks to God, they're wrong. Right. But even even so, we're still waiting for that vaccine. Dr. Fauci is saying the Calvary's coming, but the Calvary's not here. Right. And so 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 even though we know that the Calvary's coming, we're all wearing masks right now. And and we're all. We're all inhibited in different ways in our workplaces, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, and so forth. And we can feel it encroaching upon us. And we're wrestling with the tension of that. Some of you are really feeling that deeply right now. There's, there's fear in your hearts, right? There, there's this anxiety that you're experiencing right now. But for some of you, you're saying, well, that's that, but that's not where my primary anxiety is. It's, it's in my home right now. It's, uh, it's the fact that I have adult children, and, and I'm, I'm hoping and praying that one day they'll come back to the faith. Um, and I, I've been waiting for years for that, and it hasn't happened yet. For some of you, it's you're single, you're, you're single man or single woman, and you're saying I have I have maintained boundaries sexually and relationally, and you know I'm I've been I've been waiting, and I've been praying, Lord, bring me Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright. And I'm and I'm waiting, and, it, and it's I, what what else do I need to do? I mean, I, I've been I've been faithful in this prayer life, and I've been waiting. Some of you, you're married. You're saying I've I've been waiting for my husband to come home. It's not physically, emotionally. It's my wife, right? Or it's it's your work situation. A hard, hard year. Say, man, I, I'm waiting to land the right position. Right? Or it's a dead-end job. There's something right now you, you're feeling, it, aren't you? As I say those words, you really are experiencing it viscerally inside of you right now. The waiting. It's, it's rarely on our timeline, is it? It's rarely in our time frame. What we want rarely happens in the way that we want it, the time that we want it. And if God really is sovereign, if he's the one who really brought Jesus Christ in the world, and if he's the one that, that really is the answer for our advent here, at the same time we have to acknowledge that it's his timeline, not ours. 
That's the tension in the midst of hope. You feel it? But I got good news for you. On the other side of that tension is the second thing here. And that's the unexpected grace that we see here. And it comes in some scandalous ways to us. There's actually several things going on here. There's three things I'm going to mention, three scandals here. Maybe even four, depending on how you look at it. But the the first one is, is minor by comparison. It was still embarrassing, but it's these kings that are mentioned here. Some of the most evil pagan kings belong to Israel, unfortunately. Rehoboam, Abijah, Manasseh. These were kings that did evil, it says, in the sight of the Lord. The prophet said that, that the, the throne will be taken from you, that, that Israel will be destroyed because of your kingship, because of your evil. And here it is that Matthew notes them in the genealogy. And for, for the original audience, they would read it and they said, well, Jesus is the great king, but look at the kingship that he came from. There's some, some embarrassment here. There's some cringing going on, but it pales in comparison to the other scandals in here. And it's in verse 3 and verses 5 and 6. Let's read that again. And Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez, the father of Hezron. And Hezron, the father of Ram. And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Well, Scott, I don't, I don't see. What's the, what's the bombshell here? Well, a couple things. One, women. Now, half of you just said, well, hold on, what are you about to say next here, Scott? I'm, I'm curious, right? Women. Here's why. It's so important. You need to understand something about genealogies of the day. It is rare for women to be included in genealogies, okay? In a patriarchal culture, you, you, you tip, typically you would, you would have just men in there demonstrating where uh, that child came from in light of, of uh, the masculine lineage, as it were, here. And so it's very unusual that, that Matthew would bring women. And by the way, I should also say this about Matthew. Matthew's not listing everyone that biologically was related to Jesus. He's being very intentional with who he chooses to put in his line here, the lineage of Jesus, because there's a message. We're going to come to that here in a second. But four women are included. Let me just mention those three to you right now that are mentioned. And then the fourth I'll come back to in a second. Tamar. Who was Tamar? Tamar had an incestuous relationship with her father-in-law, Judah. And because of that, twins were born. Lineage of Jesus. Next after that is Rahab. Who is Rahab? Well, depending on who you talk to, either she was a prostitute or she was a brothel owner of prostitutes. And she not only that, she wasn't even Jewish. If you know the book of Joshua, her story that, that she was a pagan who, who sort of like Abraham just said, I'm throwing my lot behind Yahweh here. I'm in, you know, the whole story of the spies that sort of brought into the line of Jesus here. And so not only is she a moral outsider she, as a prostitute or a brothel owner, she's also a Gentile. She's a pagan who's been brought in. She's an ethnic outsider as well. And then you come to Ruth. Ruth was also uh, an ethnic outsider. She, did, she didn't come from Israel, but was brought in as well. There's also some sexual question marks of one particular passage. Uh, what's going on there? What's the point, Scott? Well, what a scandal. The high king of heaven who took on flesh, women of ill repute, 
ethnic outsiders, moral outsiders. And what is Matthew doing? Matthew is, in in essence, highlighting that. Now, I'm going to come back to that and the reason why in a second here. But I I just want you to think about that for a second with me. Well, first of all, why why might Matthew be the one that does this? You know what Matthew's occupation was? Tax collector. Right now, I'm still waiting for my rebate from the IRS for 2020. I don't know if I'm alone. Well, I know I'm not alone because millions right now are still waiting. I mean, it's taking forever. I mean, the IRS has never really loved, but this year it's even worse. Right? Well, Matthew knew something about that as a tax collector. He knew, he knew a little bit about being a, a moral outsider, even, even worse than the IRS in essence. IRS is fine. They don't cheat you, I don't believe. But they did back in the day. Right? The tax collectors. They took a little extra on the side. Matthew knew something about being a moral outsider, you see. I mention all that because this has the ring of reality. In the ancient times in particular, you had what was called a hagiography. Hagiography, and sometimes even more recently do this as too, what you do is you take your hero and you pick stories that really highlight why they're heroes. And, and even the origins of the hero, you, you pick and choose to ensure that their origins look like who they are in their character in real life. Heroes, right? I mean, isn't it true? All of us, man, we want, we would love to have a, a family lineage of heroes, right? I remember uh, Christian and I were dating. She was, she was telling me the story. Uh, it was about being in high school and her father wanted to help her produce a uh, genealogy research project about their family. And, and her father was tremendously excited because of a great king in their lineage named Charlemagne. Charlemagne means literally in Latin, Charles the Great. He was the Holy Roman Emperor from a millennia ago after the original Roman Empire crumbled in the Dark Ages. Eventually, after hundreds of years in a fractured Europe, a king came along named Charles. And Charles basically put Europe back together again into a great empire that lasted for centuries and expanded power of Christendom and so forth. And and, uh, wow, what a story. And and to know that you literally have the blood of Charlemagne in your veins. How cool is that? Only there's one problem. Maybe you've heard this as well. If you have even one millimeter, not even an ounce, one millimeter of European ancestry in your Lineage, you belong to Charlemagne. Charlemagne had 19 children by virtually that many women. And they themselves got along really well in the bedroom, you know, generations after that. I mean, they, everyone and their mother, it turns out genetically now, we know this from, from all the, the advances in genetic technology, virtually anyone with any ancestry from Europe is connected with Charlemagne, you know. If, if you're special, everyone's special in that sense. You're not really special. And so it was a blow, I think, to, to Kirsten to, to learn that we're all in this together, Charlemagne's descendants here, right? Great story, but it's really not that unique. But Jesus, man, wow, what a unique lineage. You know, the women, the Gentiles, but it's not just moral outsiders. I want you to see the fourth woman here. This is what is in some ways, the most fascinating of all, it's David. David was the father of Solomon by the wife of, not David, Uriah. Now, remember what I just got through saying about that Matthew intentionally chooses his words carefully. Why didn't he 
write, and David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba. Why does he instead highlight the adultery? There's a message here. And it's about moral insiders. King David was the ultimate moral insider. King David was the, the ultimate pedigree. He was the ultimate in your credentialing here. I mean, we, we talk about resumes and the things that we achieve. And what is a genealogy? It's what they have achieved. And, and what, what is Matthew saying? This is the pedigree. This is the credentials of Jesus are moral outsiders and Gentiles, but also failed moral insiders. Here's the point in all that. There's not a single person in this room that can't connect with the genealogy of Jesus. You know, for most of us in here, we're ethnic outsiders. We're Gentiles. A couple of people are not in this room, but, but most, of us, most of us are Gentiles by birth. And right there, we can already see that the promise is coming, coming through for the nations, not just the Jewish people. But there, there are a number of you in here that, as, as I was mentioning these people, the moral outsiders, you're saying, man, that's my story. You know, whether you're raised in the church or not, it's besides the point. You're saying, man, I've been a prodigal. I've been the prodigal son. I've been the prodigal daughter. I've been on the outside. And, and, and the storyline here is that Jesus includes you. Jesus wants you in his family. And some of you are saying, that's not been my story. I've dotted all my I's, crossed all my T's. I've been in the church, right? And maybe that's not your identity, but at least you're saying, no, I'm more like a moral insider here. And what you can see is the same thing. Remember what, what Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you've heard it said, do not murder. But I say to anyone who calls his brother or sister an idiot is guilty of murder. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say unto you, anyone who's as much as lusted after a woman is, is guilty of adultery. Jesus was saying, no one's truly a moral insider in the clean sense. David himself Murder, adultery, literally. I mean, he murdered Uriah. That's, that's who he was. Uriah was one of the mighty men of David, and he had him murdered to cover up the pregnancy of Bathsheba and the adulterous affair that he had with her. Moral insider. Hmm. Included. What's the message for us here at Christmas time? Jesus takes our ugliness and he makes it beautiful. Some of you won't be surprised by what I say next. My, my favorite singer, Bono. You too. I know a whole generation has no idea who I'm talking about anymore. But there's an uh, album that came out called Elevation, 17, 18 years ago. And there's a song that, that Bono wrote. He writes most of their music. And one of the songs is called Grace. And then the metaphor that's used is of a, of a pregnant woman. And, and, and just the, the, grace, the gracefulness of her and her pregnancy and bringing life into the world seems fitting. But I want to hear how this song begins and also the last words of the song. It goes, grace, she takes the blame. She covers the shame, removes the stain. And this is how it ends. Grace makes beauty out of ugly things. Grace finds beauty in everything. Grace finds goodness in everything. The genealogy of Jesus is no boring list, but it is the work of God, His sheer grace for you and for me on display. And this, the last thing it leads to is this, it's new reputation. That's what we get here 
See, Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 16, he says this. He says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. And at the very end of Matthew's gospel, after these beginning words that begin, the new Genesis, the new creation, in Matthew 28, verse 19, this is where we see what John says in John chapter 10, and the blessing of the nations to Abraham. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Why do we exist as a church family? Why do we come into existence 13 years ago? To be part of that mission of God. I will bless you that you might be a blessing to the nations. We are part of that. Part of, part of our, our mission here is, is, to, is to make his name known, to let others know that moral outsiders, moral insiders, it matters not, but you're intended. God wants you. He longs, as we're reading that blessing of Max a second ago, there's a longing and a delight and a curiosity that he wants for us to be part of his family. And we can say that because we have been brought in to that family because we have been given a new credential line. We have been given a new reputation. So much better than having Charlemagne as a king in your lineage is having Jesus as your king, being part of his bloodline. And so that is worth celebrating at Christmas. In the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of a lot of waiting and a lot of tension, we see the hope that's been fulfilled, but we're waiting for the fullness of that hope to be fulfilled. And so may we be that church this Christmas season that doesn't take Christmas for granted. No, no, not this year. But let's instead proclaim that we have a high king. This city, our neighbors desperately need, in the midst of fear, in the midst of hopelessness, in the midst of despair, in the midst of cynicism, in the midst of fill in the blank with whatever other word you want to put in there, they need hope. They need grace. They need the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And let's pray in His name now. Father, we thank You that the promises not only ring true, but have come true. And yet, paradoxically, at the same time that they have come true, we wait for them to fully come true. One day, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more viruses, no more pandemics, no more fear, no more despair, no more hopelessness, none of that. We will have you and you alone. You have established your genealogy. You're establishing your genealogy. You've made us your descendants. We've been brought into your bloodline because of your blood, Jesus Christ, shed for us on the cross for our many sins. We rejoice in the midst of this season especially. We rejoice. And so may, may we sing our songs with joy, with hope. May we sing for you because you are our Savior and Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now we're going to take some time to respond to God's word through confession. And this month, at the first week of the month, we, instead of confessing sin, we confess what we believe. What is our rebar? What is it that holds us together? What's our foundation? And we, we pray the Apostles' Creed together because it is what unites us in our beliefs as a body. So in a moment, let's pray aloud together this, this prayer, the Apostles' Creed. Let's, let's pray. Join me. Let's. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord 
who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now we move to the table. As the, the, the prayer said, we believe in the, the Holy Catholic Church. That's, that's not the denomination of Catholicism. That is the Catholic, the, the entire church. We believe that as his church, and as his church we gather today to be reunited with him, to remember. He left us this meal at the table. And here is where, here's where every week we come back at City Church. This is why we practice it every week, and, and we put on faith. We remember who we are and whose we are. We, we say, he is the one that died for our sins. We didn't die for it. We don't make each other die for each other's sins. And so here at the table, we are united as a body. Here at the table, our sins are dealt with, and the community.